Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to the show today. This is... uh a short week for a lot of people in business because of the Thanksgiving holidays, but for other people, it's the beginning of a very, very long week because Thanksgiving in the United States, uh, Black Friday shopping begins now actually on Thanksgiving Day and uh, evening evenings because of all the cyber selling that goes for people in retail. This is one of your strongest times of year. But for me, what this week is all about is being grateful. It's being grateful for all of my listeners who listen to me live on iHeartRadio on WAXE, who drive around in their cars, listen to it at home, or listen to the podcast afterwards. I'm incredibly grateful for you and the wonderful wonderful reach outs that you give me saying how any particular guest on my show made a huge difference for you and has helped you shift your life. And I'm hoping that my guest today, well, I'm sure my guest today will help you shift even more. Uh, my guest is... Um, is somebody I've known of and for years from Morgan James Publishing. He wrote an amazing New York Times bestseller called Grow Regardless. Morgan James Publishing published my book, What Would a Wise Woman Do as well. And now he's got a new book out and I really love it. He's um, an author, speaker, and entrepreneur. But what I love about him is he believes that an engaged workforce is the key to unlocking human potential. And I read his current book, Shift the Work, The Revolutionary Science of Moving from Apathetic to All In, Using Your Head, Heart, and Gut. And it shifted a few things for me. And I love when I get shifted because sometimes I feel I can be a little jaded because I read so much and so much nonfiction and have access to all these different people. But this book it could be a game changer. So please, Joe, um, welcome Joe Mekalinski to the show. Joe, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to reconnect. It has been some time. Yeah, it certainly has. And I just love how David Hancock and the whole crew at Morgan James has such amazing authors, you know, and I'm I'm not saying it just because they agreed to publish me, but it just seems like over the years as their brand and the new way of publishing has come out that they are truly aligned, and I don't think there's a single person at Morgan James who is apathetic about working there. No, David's done a really nice job of building community. I mean, I remember uh, five, actually probably more like seven years ago, right when I was thinking about writing my first book, and after hearing no 57 times from different you know, agents and other publishing houses, uh, stumbled upon Morgan James, and you know, from the very first email I sent them to all the way to today in this next book, you know, they've been nothing but gracious. Um, there's not been an ounce of stress or pressure. Uh, it is the total opposite of the experience that you typically hear from working with publishing companies. And, you know, hats off and big kudos to David for giving us all a platform and yeah. a chance to uh, have our, short, our story heard. Very, very much so. Have you read Daniel Burris's book, The Anticipatory Organization? I have not. It sounds like a good one, though. Oh, yeah. I can't believe you haven't read it. You have to read it. It's it's totally amazing. I've had the honor of having him on my show. And what I think about when I think about Morgan James is that they, David created an anticipatory organization before there was a term for it. He was thinking about 
what needed to change, where the industry was going to be going, and how they can build a flow that anticipates what the need is going to be, which is sort of what your company does, what Shift is all about. Yes? No? I think it is. Sure, sure. I mean, in these crazy changing times that are just moving faster and faster, I think everybody's trying to keep up, feels a bit behind, and certainly anything that you can do to be a little lighter on your feet, both as an individual and a company, you probably will have uh, a bit more maybe ease at trying to adapt to this new normal. In your book, you talk about this concept about are you all in? Are you all in at work, in life? Um, I know for myself, I've realized some areas that I haven't been all in, and then I can get all in for a a very specific period of time, and then all of a sudden I just can't seem to maintain that willpower to be all in. What is it about this all-in concept that made you write this book and come to these ideas about how to move from apathy to all-in? Well, I, I certainly appreciate that question because I think it's, you know, it could be answered a bunch of different ways. I mean, for me personally, I look at business as one of the levers that saved my life. I grew up in a pretty tough part of Baltimore, and you know, as factories were closing down and different plants were the sole source of employment, my dad had just been fortunate enough not to work at those particular places. And I watched him, and now have currently watched him for 41 years work at the same organization and give his whole heart and soul. And you know, different than some other folks, I got a sort of front row seat to seeing how that actually helped him when he came home, that, you know, he felt accomplished. He felt like the work was worth it. And, you know, I didn't really probably come to any big epiphany or realization up until about five years ago when I had, you know, a little bit of a different experience. This was, as you talked about, my first book, Regardless, was a pretty big success for a first-time author, and it also hope, uh, happened to coincide with my wife having our second child. And for me, as I was flying high, being interviewed all over the place, and really kind of you know reaping the rewards of, of this successful book, um, I was coming home and I was pretty burned out. And I was not as probably present of a father and good of a husband as I could have been. And when I really started to think about kind of the way the work day was affecting me, it got me to zoom out and just, you know, if you think about it, I mean, we as just a civilization, we spend a good part of our time at work, upwards of a third of our time during the week. If you start to add this up over decades, you're talking about tens of thousands of hours at a particular environment or in a, in a mode that may not be helping us. I mean, you know, the, the way that we look at mental illness in this country and, you know, depression, anxiety, and the suicide rates are going up and, You know, there's certainly a complex system, you know, contributing to a lot of these things. But in some ways, what I saw was a lot of people with legitimate Sunday scaries Sunday night that they really didn't want to transition from going from what they got to do over the weekends to what they had to do on Mondays. And so that all sounds good from a motivational point of view. But what we did is we started to take a little bit different approach into the science, like looking at your your biochemistry and like what happens when we are miserable and we're doing things that we don't like to do. Well, what happens is the blood goes from the prefrontal cortex, the outer brain, the more evolved place of thinking where you have executive functioning and you can think for tomorrow to your limbic system. And that is a fight or flight response that, you know, puts us in this chronic state of stress. And so the more that we dug into it, what we found was is that the work environments that are structured today 
for the most part, aren't actually necessarily connected to the way the biology of the body works. That's so interesting. That pretty, yeah, it was a pretty big aha for us, for sure. Okay, explain to me how the current work environment is not. Well, when you think about it, you know, work has evolved from the factory floor to this new information worker, as Peter Drucker would have called it. And with that came the complexity of a hierarchy, this organizational chart, top-down command and control. And if you look at just the biology of human beings, I mean, we once, hundreds of thousands of years ago, we didn't like being told what to do. We wanted to be part of a tribe, but the idea of not exerting our creativity, our empathy, and our courage, which are three attributes connected, believe it or not, to a neuron network, a, a brain, so to speak, in your head, your heart, and your gut. And so everything from the way that HR is structured today, I mean, think about the fact that the U.S. is still a developed country without a mandatory um, policy around maternity leave, right? So when you think right. about, do I really stand behind the work I do in the organization? If you feel like the organization doesn't at least have your back, at like not even a hard time, we're talking about a, a miraculous moment as either a mom or a dad, that's a pretty sad state of affairs. And you could go down the line of, you know, how do we think about annual reviews? You know, is this something that is met with, you know, heart space? Is this no. something that is met with? <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. But again, these are the things that happen. You know, it's like, you know, one of my new favorite authors is a guy by the name of Jordan Peterson. This guy has been a phenom of, of his book, uh, 12 Rules to Life. And one of the things that he talks about is, you know, we so often as human beings put so much attention towards things like vacation, things that we don't do a lot. But what if you did things every day, like the way you came home at the end of the day, at the end of your work day? Like, do you get that right? Do you do that well? Do you set an example for your kids? And if not, the question is why. And so not that you shouldn't be, you know, responsible for your own agency or volition, but at the same time, if I went to the gym every day for eight hours a day, five days a week for 10 years, and instead of working out, I ate pizza and you know drank Mountain Dew and had Doritos, it would change my biochemistry. Well, no different than this toxic work environment we also believe is having a major effect on people's physical, emotional, and spiritual health. And these things are real. And so when we talk about being all in, all in is that you feel like you don't have to look over your shoulder. You feel like you're working in an environment of trust. It also is an environment where you're doing things that you believe have merit, you believe are worth it. And so for us, you know, you could be a janitor and feel this exact same way. This isn't about hierarchy. This isn't about, you know, the, the, the level of technical expertise you might have. This is simply stated, you know, do you feel like you're all in? Right. It's shifting the way you think about what you're doing in every moment and being present to it. But we're going to go right to our first commercial break. We'll be right back with more from Joe McLinsky talking about shifting the work. Okay, Joe, you were talking about this whole concept that I kind of feel you have a quote in your book that really hit me that I thought was really beautiful. So to expand on it, you wrote, slowly I arrived at a place where I stopped believing things were happening to me and instead understood that they were happening for me. I kind of feel that that builds off of what we were just talking about before the break, where it doesn't matter what job you're in, what your life situation, it's how you approach that instant, that action, that response that you're going to have how does one begin to shift or even realize they're in a place where they're not um all in 
Well, look, we're all wired a bit differently for sure, and I'm not an academic psychologist. However, we have studied this long enough over the last 18 years to see and recognize some patterns. The first thing that I find when we're looking at organizational health and we're looking to see whether people look forward to Mondays, they're high-performing, and they're fully engaged, is to ask them one simple question. At the end of the day, how do you feel about the question, was today worth it? We, we, we stopped there right before the commercial break because it is inherently a question we're all asking ourselves at the end of a day, at the end of a project, at the end of a task. This idea of regret, it really is a, it's a math equation inside of everyone's head, and it's very subjective, but you know, at the end of the day, people sort of know or, or at least are closer to knowing whether they really believe their time. Like, they're a very precious time, the fact that we all get 24 hours in a day, but no one really knows what's going to happen tomorrow. And so being fully alive and awake to that particular concept does change the way you think. And, and back to even the quote that you mentioned, the to you, for you thing is, is really, you know, how do you step away from victimhood? How do you find a way to assert your facility, your agency, your will, your responsibility for what life has given you? Now, look, let's be honest. I mean, if you're born in this country, you hit the lottery, so to speak, because you were born with an advantage that most people in the, in the, in the developing world will never have in some ways. But that doesn't mean like, that you can't find a way on your worst day to still find what are the things that you appreciate. You know, there's an old saying my dad used to say, which is, what we appreciate appreciates. True. And so we do think, as you talk about the kickoff of today's interview, around the idea of this attitude of gratitude that everyone hopefully gets a chance to experience this week, coming at a particular issue from that vibrational frequency does change the way you think. Yet, so many people seem to never be able to get there or maintain it. And that's something that, you know, I've struggled with with my own employees when I had my tech company. I, I see my clients that I do strategy work with struggle. And I know there's no one perfect thing or one just one idea or I'll ask you this question and that will shift uh-huh. you completely. But yet we're always in search of that. Right. And I feel like it's it's getting worse. It's not getting better. We're we're seeing more and more people, business owners, just get frustrated that they can't keep their employees happy. And they're like, I, I can't give them everything they want because I don't have the income levels to do that. I don't have the revenue numbers to do that. Because if they don't work and have a productive work day, I can't give them all those benefits that I'd like to give them. So how do you respond to something like that? So listen, I'm not sure this answers your direct question, but I would say this. Think about where we stand politically as a country right now, Republicans and Democrats alike. We are just talking past each other. We certainly may not agree on how the best way to solve some of these problems. But if you think about the way, as an example, a different analogy could be like a jury. Like a jury doesn't argue whether they believe that if someone create, you know, had committed a criminal offense, they should go to jail. They might not necessarily all see eye to eye, but for the most part, they'll look at the facts, they'll, they'll have a conversation, and they're able to manage that in a pretty effective way. I mean, it's the most successful judicial system on the planet. You think about employers and employees, the idea that people are, you know, constantly sort of not listening to each other. So, you know, their common go-to for an employer is that people are 
you know, always looking for more money or there's, you know, never enough being done for folks. And if you really look at the data from an employee engagement standpoint, what you find is money is only part of the equation. There's a lot of other things around people feeling just subjectively valued, appreciated, and heard. And so the idea that people are, you know, looking for a greater level of connection with their mission, you know, feeling like what they're doing is bettering society at some level, or the idea that, you know, I, I talk often about uh, having a climate of justice. And the climate of justice is very basic. It means what we're doing has to be good for me, it has to be good for you and I, Laura, and it has to be good for the greater good. If I can check the box of is it better for us, better for me, and better for the greater good, then I'm likely to be pretty flexible in terms of the value equation of pay, benefits, perks, of culture, of all the other things that are sort of injected into this. Now, there are always exceptions to the rule, but this is generally what we've found over the past, you know, we've now worked with 600-plus organizations directly helping them really move the needle as it relates to these issues. They're, look, they're complex, no doubt, but there's definitely another way to think about this, and that's what we put in Shift the Work. Yeah, and I, I love that you put that in the book because it's it's not, and I will say this straight out to all of my listeners, it's not a follow this exact, here's the 10, 15 steps you have to do. It's, to me, Joe, what this book is, is it shifts your thinking. It begins to get people thinking about themselves, the business, and the greater good, and everybody that's around them and thinking about it. You know, and if a business owner is seeing signs of apathy or lots of transition in their business, you've had, like you said, over 600 companies that you've worked with over the years, small and large. What are some things they can begin to do to turn things around? Like they're acknowledging that there's something not working well. They don't necessarily know how they're helping the greater good, or maybe they do, but they don't know how to translate that to their employees. Are there some things that you can recommend for them to start thinking about to shift? Yeah. So let's take a couple of big ideas and then a couple of really good go-do tactical items. So the first thing is, when's the last time your organization really elicited feedback from your organization? So, you know, a voice of the employee survey or an engagement survey where, you know, some companies do this well every couple of years or once a year, but we would encourage organizations to do this on a quarterly. And in fact, you know, we here at Shift, I, I will shamelessly plug the fact that we've won a Best Place to Work award seven out of the last nine years awesome. twice nationally. And it's because we listen. I mean, every week we send our team a pulse survey to ask them how they're feeling, what they're working on, where they need help. You know, we take this a bit more, I think, seriously because of the work we do. But look, if you did this once or twice a year that you really asked people questions, and we've, com we've compiled the top 50 questions that we really do believe help, you know, elicit the kinds of things that you will be able to do something about. I mean, that's one idea. I mean, the second idea is a little more blue collar, which is get out of your chair, get out of your office, and go into the field. You know, if you're an executive of an organization, let's say the, the company is a couple hundred folks, you know, you're not going to know everybody's first, middle, and last name and kids' names, but you can definitely spend 30 to 50% of your time outside the office and doing some lunch and learns, of doing some office hours, of you know, getting shoulder to shoulder, belly to belly with people so that there are no filters between you and your management layers, so that people can see and hear that you give a damn 
Right, and it doesn't have to be undercover boss. It can be, no. you know, real. Well, and, and we here at Shift, I mean, here's a couple tactical things. I mean, I sent our team a daily video uh, somewhere between three and five minutes, and I post it up on Slack, and it's, you know, a series of things that I'm seeing are areas of progress or patterns of success that I'm watching and witnessing and observing the team do. Or I might just share something personal that's keeping me up or got me up in the morning or Whatever the case may be, but the team has to feel like we are all equal in the sense, not competency equal, but equal in the sense of worth and attached to the mission. And I think so often when you look at the, the traditional hierarchical structure, that doesn't work. And I'll, I'll give the, your audience just a quick, um, one last quick hack that we use back to that weekly pulse tool. David Hassel is the founder of a company called 15.5. It's been a really, really great tool for us to use that really helps codify this weekly rhythm that I'm talking about. We, you know, have all of our clients use it. We think it's a really great tool. It's one of the best engagement performance management tools that we've seen out there. And it's really reasonable. It's not like, you know, putting SAP workdays program in <laughs> that's going to cost you millions of bucks. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot more of these things uh, that we talk about because, you know, a lot of these things also too are, you know, you could, this is like self-guided, self-directed, type of tactics that we believe are certainly, yes, you know, you can hire a company like ours, but, you know, more importantly, how are you helping yourself? Okay, and let's let's end on that as we go into the national news. I'd like everybody to think about on this commercial break, if you're listening live, how are you helping yourself? How are you helping your business? And how are you helping the world with the work that you're doing? And we'll be right back with more from Joe Meklinski. Welcome back, everybody. If you're listening to us live on iHeart, hopefully you were driving safely or enjoying your home or wherever you're listening to us live on the air. If you're on the podcast, hopefully you sat down and really thought about the question that my guest, Joe McLinsky, author of Shift the Work, the Revolutionary Science of Moving from Apathetic to All In, Using Your Head, Heart, and Gut, shared before the national news break which is how are you helping yourself it's just one of the many ways that he suggested we can begin to to shift the work shift ourselves shift our businesses so joe when we were before the national news break you were sharing some tactics some tips um, some strategies that people can use including this whole idea of asking how are you helping yourself uh, I know you have more of those, so let's just dive right in and have you share some more things that people can do. So look, you know, I think this gets into a bit of the self-help, which is about you helping yourself. And how do you really think about the week? I mean, one of the questions that we ask in our survey is, are you really clear on what your top three priorities are each and every week? And no matter where you sit in your organization, you should have... I think real enablement to answer that question. But if you can't start there, then you're likely to be sleepwalking through work. You know, second, if you can answer your priorities, my favorite judge of whether things are worth it or not is are you putting your calendar where your mouth is? Not your money, your mouth. So if you're saying these things are important, how do you line that up? Let me give you a quick example. So we were working with a multi-billion dollar organization, a well-known company you would know of. And when we asked the executives of this 8,000-plus organization, you know, what are your top three priorities? How clear are you? And they said, you know, 60% of them could say, yes, I know what my top three priorities are. Okay, that's, I guess that's okay. But then when we said, how much time are you spending against that, those said priorities? You know, the average response was 22% of the week. So just 
at a most basic level, are you really spending time on the things that you deem or you feel are really most important and contributing to the organization's success? If not, I mean, just think, if you spent 20% of your day working on the things that you thought mattered and 80% of your day working on the things that didn't, you don't have to be a math major here or a scientist or some PhD to figure out this is not a, 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 a real winnable situation. And so for us, that's where you know, some of this starts and ends, which is really where are you spending your time and do you feel like that time is really helping to move the needle? And you're not just talking about the CEO or the business owner level when you're when you say that, right? You're you're talking about every individual in the company needs to be putting their calendar where their mouth is or where the corporate mouth is. You bet. I mean, when you think about the idea that we all have a role to play, and it could be the bank teller, the flight attendant, it could be you know the secretary, the administrator, it could be. Anybody really throughout the organization should ask those questions. And then I would add one, which is when you think about, you know, your back to that heart space. So people don't know this, but you have 40 million neurons in your heart. Your heart is, of the, all of the body's organs and instruments, if you will, your heart emanates the most electric uh, pulse magnetic field than anything. So the, the point of all this is, and I sort of box that up, it is the idea that you know, when you think about what are you really passionate about, well, you don't have to be a doctor to know that my heart rate right now is probably elevated because I get a chance to speak with you and your audience. And that, that means something. It, it's because the stakes are high. There is consequence. And I appreciate so question, that. <laughs> we, well, and we ask this of people all the time, which is, you know, why are you really doing what you're doing? In fact, we put them through an exercise called the 25 Reasons Why. Because when you can get really clear on why you're doing something, and it comes from an intrinsic place, not an extrinsic place, not a place of you know, comparing yourself to others, not a place of needing more things or the I'll be happy when syndrome, all of the things that we've heard from, whether it's the Buddhists, the, 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 the self-help gurus, the, 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 all of the great positive psychology work that's been done, when you can come from a place of really knowing why you do what you do, you know, for us, this is another hallmark of how do you get your heart to be more all into the work that you do? You mentioned in your book the three different kinds of brains, and you mentioned the heart right now. So I'm going to shift into that conversation because for me, that was a game changer, right? That it gives permission to use your gut, use your heart and your head all simultaneously when you're running a business or making any decision if you're working in a business. But nobody really talks about these this idea that there's more than one brain, I mean, unless they're joking about men at times, right? Right. <laughs> and, you know, so to me that concept is is very radical, Joe, this idea that we really need to use our head, our heart, and our gut, not just one part of it. Why is it that people feel that they're really, that there's only one brain and it's the intellectual brain? So let's be honest. I mean, for the last, you know, hundreds, even thousands of years, we've known very little about the human body, the human makeup, why we do what we do. I mean, it wasn't up until 30 years ago we had something called positive psychology, which wasn't studying why we were sick, but it was studying why we might be more happy, fulfilled, etc. And so when you think about that, just 
the, the newness of this particular space, you know, in the last three or four years, fMRI technology has given us the ability to take a peek inside of the brain in your head. You know, most of us have between 87 and a billion neurons. We're learning what, um, how and, and really what triggers us, you know, into either fight or flight or really using our executive functioning just at a simplistic level. We've, back in the 50s, believe it or not, is when we determined that there was this neuron network in your head, I'm sorry, in your heart and in your gut. And so what we learned about the heart brain was these 40 million neurons actually send as many signals to the brain in the head as many that the head sends down to the heart. That it, it really does. I mean, if you've, if you've heard about the broken heart syndrome, which is, you know, the heart literally feels and can break you. And this is the, the scenario where, you know, two people who've been together forever and one of them passes away and yet in another couple of weeks, maybe the other one passes away because they, they literally, they have no reason to, to go on. You have um, uh, a taste bud receptors in your heart. People don't know this, that it has more taste buds than your tongue. Taste buds, you know, really? You, yes. I yeah, know you mentioned it, but a, that blew me away. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, and the heart remembers. I mean, it's been well documented that when, you know, a donor receives or a donee receives a heart from a donor, that also some of the memories come with it. And so that's just a, I mean, you know, what's funny about what we put in Shift the Work is, you know, it was probably double the content, the research, and the scientific studies that we had cited at first you know, in terms of the unedited manuscript. And in order to make this accessible, we did our best to sort of pare this down to just giving the real basics of how would you bring more heart into your work that would make yourself more biologically integrated. You would be more of a whole human being. And if I can, the gut brain, that is the one that's the most fascinating to me. I mean, we are learning more about the GI and the digestive tract than we've ever learned in the last couple years even. The fact that you have a microbiome, you have this whole ecosystem of trillions of bacteria inside of your gut. That whole idea that Jack LaLanne used to say, which is garbage in, garbage out. If man made it, don't eat it. Like, we're learning now that food actually has a real strong influence over the way that we think and over the way that we communicate, over the way that we act. So it's like, think about this. I mean, how many of us would want to get on a plane with a pilot who was in a high state of stress or who hadn't eaten lunch, you know what happens. You don't, again, have to be a doctor that, you know, you'll start to get tunnel vision when you're in a chronic state of stress. And that cortisol, 70% of that neurotransmitter is actually produced out of the gut. And so when people say they feel those butterflies at the top of the roller coaster, it's not butterflies, folks. It's this production, this overproduction, this overstimulated production of cortisol. And the more cortisol we have, uh, we, we get slower, frankly, we get more stupid, and we, and we get sick. And, you know, that also happened to me where, you know, a lot of us harbor this stress and this management inside of our guts. And what we also don't know is on the converse side, that 70% of the serotonin, this neurotransmitter that, you know, is mostly associated with the helper's high. So if you've heard the adage that when I am the recipient, giver, or observer of a random act of kindness. You get this jolt of gratitude, this feeling of appreciation. You get these goosebumps at the end of a movie when it ends with the, with the hero winning and giving high fives and, and congratulations. Those, we love those moments because it almost helps us connect back to, again, more expansive way of thinking. That it's not just about me, it's about we. And when you ask people at the end of their life, most of the time they don't say I wanted to work more 
They don't say I wanted more things. They say two things. Did I um, spend enough time with those who mattered most? And two, did I do something that mattered? Meaning, did I do something that left the collective, us as human beings, in a little bit better spot than not? And so for us, that is really the connection to legacy and folks' gut brain. So it sounds like in order to help for those of my listeners who have businesses and they have staff or they have families, in order to help shift those around us and ourselves to not be apathetic, to be all in, we have to engage that gut brain. Would that be a simplistic way of looking at it? We need to bring these other parts of our brain online? We, you do as an individual and an employee, you bet. And so the question you could do is, you, you could meditate on these things, you could journal on these things, you could start to think about your career path and your vision. The good news is this, we put 27 exercises in the book, Shift the Work, that you could do as a self-studied guide to help you go from, as we say, apathetic to all in, using your head, heart, and gut. But if you're an employer and you're listening to this, my point of view would be this. How many of your employees feel like, you know, they're all in so that you're sending them home, better moms and better dads, better, you know, significant others, better concerned global citizens or not? Because eventually that residue of regret will find its way back into the productivity, into eventually the profitability and overall the performance of your organization. And that's a perfect thought to have everybody start thinking about as we go into our last commercial break. We'll be right back with more from Joe McClinsky. Joe, in you mentioned that in your book you have all of these exercises that people can do, and I, I love that you do that. I did that in, in my book as well. Um, a lot of people have trouble writing in a book, so I'm going to tell everybody, please do it. Joe wrote this book so that right while you're reading it, it's in the book. If you're planning on, because something has really impacted you, get another copy of the book so you can pass it on and give it away to somebody, but use the option to write right in this book because I think it'll be useful for you as you're going throughout your life. And and I know you can have a journal and you can write in the journal, but there's something about writing in this book with these exercises that I think could really help my all of you my listeners shift and i'm giving you permission to write in the book okay (laughs) great advice yeah it's amazing how many people feel they need permission to write in a book i mean i grew up you would never deface a book you wouldn't even break the spine when you were reading it forget dog earing a page right and when i prepare for these shows i highlight the books i dog ear the page i write notes in the margins i underline (laughs) <laughs> the first time my mom saw me do it, she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's too funny. Yeah, it's really, really funny how we have these ideas that come from childhood or from places we don't even realize that they come from, which which leads to the uh, conversation you start in the book. And you make this comment, stop feeding our biases, that it's so important for us to stop feeding our biases in order to able to be able to shift. Explain what that means. Well, sure. And again, you know, this is from the perspective of a management consultant, an entrepreneur, you know, not someone coming right out of psychology school. But what we think about in terms of biases, they're just patterns of thinking, patterns of thinking that have gotten you to this point based on your previous data set. 
So my data set as a young kid on the other side of the tracks was that potentially it might have been easier to continue to break the law as opposed to do the right thing. Right, that's a that's a bias um, that I may have had, and you know when you think about some of the shows that we love to watch, you know whether it's The Sopranos or Breaking Bad, what you see there are you know human beings, these stories depicted and displayed about how sunk cost bias comes into play, and you know there's about 26 different biases that all of us could have, but sunk cost bias is an interesting one in the sense that we're afraid to move off our current position until a better option presents itself. And the problem with that thinking is that a better option may never present itself until you go make that option happen. And so when you think about your biases, whether you have a positive bias, that you, you never see a gray cloud in the sky, or you have a negative bias where you always have a problem seeing the glass half full, you know, we all have a propensity for these biases. And what it does is it prevents us from really unlocking a new way of seeing the world. And when we've lost that ability, this also then starts to get into this vortex of negative emotions, of a loss of hope. Seem to have lost Why you. Why does it even matter? Okay, sorry, we lost you for a second. You oh, said uh, feeding hope, and then we lost you. Oh, so, you know, and, and when you've lost a sense of hope and you've lost a sense of you know, really uh, excitement about the future. I mean, that's where we are finding ourselves with people who have spent decades at work, no matter what level of the organization, where they don't see work as literally and figuratively a weapon to make themselves better. They don't look at it like a gym. They look at it like a hassle. And that's not good. Thank goodness. Oh, that's a that's an awesome tweet. Work is a weapon to make you better. Yeah, we say work as a weapon to find your best self because, to find your best self. again, you might as well. We're all going to spend a lot of time there unless you've had some ragingly successful exit, unless you were born into wealth in a different sort of category of life. If you're like the rest of us, there is actually a way to have work serve you, not the other way around. And so that's the way at the highest level of perspective that we're attempting to help organizations see their people as their most important asset help people see that their time is one of their most important assets for them. And so if, that's, if those are two truisms, the question is then how do we help you know, remove and update the operating system? And part of it is your biases. Okay. All right. So I'm, I'm trying to formulate the best way to ask this question because I could ask it like 10 different ways <laughs> and we don't have enough time for me to ask it 10 different ways. All right. Since we're getting close to the end of the show, and you talked about stop feeding our biases and these different kinds of brains that we have, and you know, was your brain worth, was your day worth it, all of those things. Is there one thing that, and I know asking that one thing question is always a, a tough one, Joe, because there isn't just one thing, right? It's accumulation of all the different things. But if my listeners could do one thing today, to move themselves into a place of f- stop feeding their biases and find their best self. Is there one thing that you would say to them? Uh, so I'm, I love the question and I think I've got a pretty good answer, which is the very first chapter of shift. The work starts off with the story of me coming home as I shared with you earlier and I didn't finish it, which was 
you know, my wife caught me coming home and I was in this place where, you know, I was starting to compare myself to other people and I just wasn't, you could just tell. You didn't, again, need to be a, an academic expert to say, is this guy really happy? And is he being his best self? And so she would notice the language I would use, even with the kids. Like the kids were really young at the time. And bath time for my daughter, our first child, who was three at the time, was like my thing. And our son came along and she started to hear me say things like, God, I have to watch the kids. And she's like, well, you're their father. You don't have to do anything. And then I would say, well, I have to give them bath now and I have to change their diapers. And she just pulled me aside and said, you know, you never said this with Ellie. And she's like, you know, and you're a great person and a great dad. She said, don't you teach this stuff about how do you change your syntax from I have to, to I get to. And so when you use that language, you know, this is a powerful tool. We don't think that words matter, but words absolutely set an emotional tone. So just think about it, right? I have a full day of meetings like you, Laura, at the end of this interview today, and I can approach those conversations like I have to do those meetings, I have to respond to those emails, I have to get back to the voicemails, and or I can approach it as if I get to. Like, I get to have this awesome conversation with you and your audience. I get to leave here today and go have lunch with a guy who's massively successful and I'm going to learn so much from him. Like, if you could start your day with the idea that it's a gift it's a privilege, not a right or an obligation. I believe that's one of the biggest levers of engagement, quite frankly, happiness, when you think about it. I love that. I, I just thought of one thing that I'd been saying, I have to, and I'm going to shift it to I get to. So thank you for that. You just shifted me <laughs> in that moment. And I read your book, and it just hit me differently as I heard your voice. Awesome. Well, All that's right. great. So how do people get your book, reach out to you um, if they have questions or need some assistance from you? You bet. So our website is shifttheWork.com. The name of the book is also the name of our company and our website. Uh, you can find us on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or any of the local, um, sort of not local, I should say, online retailers. Um, we do a ton of content generation. So over the next five to six weeks, we'll put out uh, at least two to three training sessions, no strings attached. Um, we also have a blog that we're fairly active with on shifttheworkcom slash blog. We give out a lot of tools, trainings, and tech suggestions, and you'll find all of that at our website. So we would love to, to hear from anybody who has questions. Um, my email address is joe at shifttheWork. Kind of an odd thing to hand out your email address, but I do it all the time. Uh, and if people have questions, we're, you know, here to help and uh, we'd love to serve. And, and really, you know, at the end of the day, I would just end on this, which is, you know, if 70% of the American workforce is not engaged, it's a stat that Gallup has been touting for quite some time. You know, our mission here at Shift is what would happen if you could shift that 70% from disengaged to engaged? What would be different about the world? How would people think about their lives differently? And so for us, we believe if you can shift the way people work, you might be able to shift the way that they live. It just blows me away that there's 70% that is not engaged. And I, I think your book, Shift the Work, and this interview that we did today, if everybody were to play it in their office, have people in their office read the book and have a conversation around it, we could begin shifting that number. But 
the business owners and the employees need to be all in. And if they can't be all in, Joe, would you say maybe they need to shift where they're at? Maybe. You know, that's a good question and one that we get asked often, which is, is it really, you know, it's like the old Winston Churchill line, which is we shape buildings and then they shape us. I do believe the environment is very important. But we also think sometimes it's less about your environment, your boss, your employees. It could just be about you. Okay, and that's how we're going to have to end it right now. So is it about you? Remember, the right questions can change your life. What are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. And what are you grateful for? You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 